process and how we should take a look back on how we arrived here today and this time. And we start off with quite a few going on and looking at Jesus, how he's God, and how if that's true that we need to take it seriously. And then we look at ourselves and the fact that we have this this big problem of being sinners. And as such a relationship to God is broken and is unconscious. And then Sam talked to us about the solution to this problem, which is the death of Jesus on the cross. We're in an act of love. The history of the world was changed forever. Whatever anybody tell you that any other day in history was then the history changed. When Jesus died on the cross, that was when history changed. And through these actions, all sins are taken. Our God's hand towards us because of our actions are dangerous and our relationship with God is restored. And finally, last week, came to the resurrection. We saw a couple of things, three things, how it's proof that Jesus was who he says he was, how his resurrection is a of this new age where Jesus becomes a the first person in the new people who live and do their life in the kingdom of God, a kind of invisible country that exists of the most of the nations of the world. And we saw that because he lives and he's not dead, we want to be a man and be judged by him. Right? Which leads us to today, right here now. But we're looking at this question of how can God accept us? And the answer is the grace of God alone. Yeah. So there's two things at. This question, how can God accept us and grace? But how do we relate to the one we've talked about so far? I was kind of so fast away. You know, like these four guys in progression, and I was like, ah, I don't know about this. And there's a couple of things happening here. And first, with this question of how can God accept us, well, it's just one way of saying, how can I be a Christian? How can I get eternal life? Or how can I be saved? How can I be a part of God's family? Or, once, how can I get hold of the promise of death? All of these ways are not the same thing, being accepted by God. And I just think, see, that one of the things that I am up to today is trying to talk explicitly about what we can assume some of you have been thinking about. Which is that if you're not a Christian, we want you to come. We want you to start saying, God's calling you to follow we want you to know how you can be accepted by God and be a Christian. And today, hopefully, I may get explicitly clear. Secondly, we're going to look at grace, which is the means by which we can be accepted. Now, you could argue that uh, we've already talked about how we're accepted by God when we talk about the cross. And that's something true that because of my Jesus died on the cross, God can 
accept us? Would you see Christ in what God had to do so he could accept us? But the grace of God is not drawing to it in false steps. He knows us way too much to leave us in the grave of that way. Sinful, dissolving functions, separated from God. So the cross had to happen. But His grace is the thing that makes Him the kind of being that will come down and do all that He brought. And we need to look at this because the grace of God isn't just what makes a Christian, but it's the very thing that you need to live the Christian life. It doesn't just get you in, it keeps you going. It's like the car keys and the petrol all together and all. But this, oh, this is an idea. We really struggle with this. I have a back and forth, I don't know why we do. The tendency of humans is actually to rely on anything for God's grace. And yet his grace is almost comparable to oxygen cross. We need it all the time. But oftentimes, fortunate people who have been born to church for many years resist, reject, or at the very least, they can go and misunderstand the support of the world, a very crucial idea. So it's important to understand the same thing. And then we have today's story. Have a guy who wants to receive eternal life. He wants for us someone who misunderstands God's grace and who will appear on initiatives that he rejects them. A rich man, and the other comes to prove that too, kept all the rules of Judaism since he was a child, and the rules that he kept on him with was either. He had to kill anyone, being cheated on his wife, being stealing, getting common anger. He looked after his parents, plenty of cash too. You like to see him show up the door with a dog, don't you? Anyway, he still comes up with Jesus. He wants to know what happens to the inherited eternal life. Now, typically, Jesus can be at times very cryptic, and at times even confusing and hard to follow. And maybe he asked this. Does he answer the guy's question? He does. When well, he does it, the last thing he's not straight. It's very interesting to see his answer to uh, a what was a new question that has clear relevance in his process. That's not his study. You see, Jesus is a teacher of his time. And the teacher knows the word, what is meant. And how this goes on when it was, they will teach you there, or they will teach you, sorry, about how to live life, how to deal with their intricacies and complexities in life, but to teach you that, they didn't just tell you exactly what you had to do. Instead, to use of the saints, stories, uh, or seemingly unrelated questions, they will make you come to the correct answer for yourself. So whatever they said will help you think through your assumptions, your understanding of yourself, your understanding of purpose of life, and you come up with outside that teaching which your horizons broadens and moves to your understanding of the context that made you ask the question in the first place. And after that, you know what to do. That's what Jesus does here. 
So a false sense will be astonished Because in one sentence he says, no one was going to accept God. Well, if that's true, then how are they going to be accepted by God? How is this guy about anybody going to get eternal life if no one is good? But then, in a very same sentence, it seems to imply that if you follow rules, you can be accepted. And even when the young man says that he has kept all these rules, to which Jesus replies, there's one that you haven't actually kept, again, he seems to be implying that the key to gain eternal life is obedience. But if no one is good, how can you get eternal life? What's going on? You see, Jesus loves this girl. He tells us, he looks at the Lord. And we shouldn't mistake the young man's sincerity either. And this guy grumbles, which people really didn't do because of age, and he was only becoming of some standing in society. He runs and he kneels in Jesus' speech. And I don't think there's anything here to suggest that the man didn't really actually want to find out the answer to the question. But he has some problems. And Jesus sees him straight away. Firstly, this guy is under the impression that the gain of eternal life rests on what he does. So he said, what must we do? But salvation is not something that we can do. Look there on there in verses 26 and 27. The apostle is scratching their head, wondering what's going on. If this rich man can't get it, then who can? And Jesus says, it's impossible for anybody to save themselves, but not with God. You see, Jesus saw straight away that this man was thinking that it was all to himself. Save himself. But it's not up to him. It's God that saves us. It's completely under his love, free, and saves us. And you know, the two ways this plays out. Um, on one hand, I, for example, I was talking to a young man, I forget his name actually, the minister from Valley Me, came to Sports last Sunday night, and he was saying in his talk that there's not a lot of the locals uh, come to his church. And I asked him afterwards, what kind of reasons did they give to him not going? And he said that they didn't think they were good enough for church. Now, there's probably a couple of reasons why they think like that. But it is something that I find fairly frequent. And then on the other hand, and this is more popular than people think that they are good enough for God. Basically, they think they can save themselves. The idea is that if there's a God, God, He will accept me on the basis of the life I have led. Just like this young man who had a long list of what he had done, hadn't done, he thought that's what I need to be saved. You see, to make sure that he got the boxes. And again, by the way, example, I was talking to a woman recently. Offer it. You can refuse to take them. 
You can do the same thing, she can love them. And she said, No. I can't do that. And I said to her, you know, Jesus is quite clear when he's teaching about the Lord's Prayer. If you can't forgive people, God won't forgive you. And she said to me, Well, when I get to heaven, God will understand because he knows that I'm not a bad person and that I've been good overall. That's the way it's a very terrible much. But you know what's coming to all these people? Those who say I'm not going to go to a church. The young man today's story and that lady that I talked to, all of them think that it's their performance in life that is the basis for how God is. Lies! We told lies. If you're thinking that God bases his acceptance on you, or even his refusal of you, on your performance, you can't take the mystery you've been saying about today. Grace. No one is so good that God has to accept him, and no one is so bad that he doesn't want anything to do. The whole point is nobody reaches God's standards. Because the standards for God's acceptance is to be good. And only God is good. And all the words. Who is Jesus? God. This young, energetic, zealous fellow was asking Jesus, how did I have eternal life? And he answered the way before he came. He was doing that, yes. He even was the one that should only use God when he's confident and he's still missing. Which, by the way, as an example of something that unfortunately we see a lot too often in churches all over the island, where a person can go to church all their life even, and they will tell you that God blesses them, that God accepts them, and they will get into heaven because of the good life. The truth is right there in front of them every Sunday. And this never says it. So that's the first thing that Jesus says. This man is only a person that can earn eternal life. So he can't. Give it from God. The second thing is that this young man possesses for God the way he actually uh, be has quite a lot of sin in his life. They don't know much. And Jesus sees it straight away. What does he see? Well, he sees that this man appears to live for God, but in matter of fact, money is more important to him. Living for God when he's rich is one thing, but what do you do when he's poor? Would God be enough for him when he's ready to God? If God was the most important thing to him, then the answer would be yes. He goes away sad. Does he come back later on? We don't know. But it would appear that he doesn't do. But it would appear that he doesn't do what Jesus asked him. Because in his heart, very center of who he was, it was money that was the true master. And look, you know, I can't pass over this. Let's be clear here, right? Most of you in the heart that say, I'm sure that the money is the root of all kinds of evil. Well, okay, but what do you do if you find that you love money? Well, Jesus doesn't turn around to the guy and say, Look, you know, you can guard your heart for her. The money's going to become too important for that. No, he says, Get rid of it. 
Giving support. And he doesn't even say give them your extra cash. He says sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Paul, Paul, Paul tells the Timothy in his first seventeen that a man of God, if he is tempted by riches, should flee. Flee! The question you want to ask yourself is, if money is more important to me than God, how do I know that repenting of this sin doesn't look like a all the way? Because money could last forever. But that's the way application of what Jesus is doing now. He's exposing this man's true condition as a big sinner. This man loves God. He may even love God. But he doesn't love him as much as he loves the money. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I was doing the talk on sin and I said that um, the one way, one way of describing sin is anytime. We love something other than God more than God. And a bit more for us is idolatry. And we can't harm anything, anything for anything. In fact, just like the same thing like God's which is a good thing, very often the things that are more important to us than God are good things. Success, approval, family, career, being right, not being wrong, sex, being the best, change the world, building the vacuum, making peace, anything and everything can be in But it's still You can't go two ways to the other So in the end, just like this man, it's impossible for us to make a stand. You didn't get it. Instead of actually following God, you wanted to rely on what he was doing to gain God's acceptance. But we can't. We never be able to do that. No, look, I'm actually, I'm not sure that God is not saying. I'm not saying that Jesus asked this guy to give up on his own just so he could the two motives. He did ask that young man to do that in sincerity. And in fact, when I was talking to that minister from that meeting, he also told me that some people didn't want to join the church because they knew we were going to have to give some things up, but they didn't want anymore. So to be clear, eternal life is not something that we can earn, but it might cost you. We might have to give some things up. But, again, look at what he says. Jesus says to man, you do what you want and you will have treasures in heaven. Come follow me. Salvation is free for us. So I accept this. And whatever the implications are for your life, Jesus promises treasures that are over this world in the heart. He's calling for us. If you haven't responded already, today is the day. We're not finished because there's one last thing we need to look at. Grace doesn't stop being a part of our life after God has initially accepted us. Because the problems that people struggle with when it comes to salvation and being accepted by God are the ones that crop up and try to live for. In the same way, 
that we think God will accept us and bless us all of our blessings of what we do, we still think that we're going to have to become Christians. In the same way that people think that performance is a person who is good or bad, is not the promise of God to do so. We still think that we're going to have to become Christians. In the same way that we need to learn that there are many, many good things in our life that we treat as more important than God, we still need to learn that after we become Christians. When we forget about God's grace, we become more like the old man whose entire life is actually a lie. On the outside, he looked like a godly guy. He probably taught himself he was a godly guy, but he wanted When you forget about the grace of God, the night, the hours of peace, happiness, and our contentment is determined solely. How you're doing with life. When things are good, you're good. When things are bad, you're bad. When you forget about the grace of God, you will go and find your peace and contentment and happiness and all the things besides God. Remember my ideas? This book is good in front of ours, which is deeply ironic and said that there is another. But when I was writing this song on a corset, it was getting me cranky because I was going well. And I was imagining myself coming up here to the pulpit and looking like a fool to do what I was saying. Just make mistakes. And I'm just there to do that. But something that was acting up, you know, wasn't the one I was supposed to do. And I got angry with him. I got angry with him more than I should have. And I realized that I was taking my frustration with the sun out on him. One thing to appear competent and give me sermons that become more important to me than just doing my best for God. One thing to be loved by me that become more important to me than knowing that I love by God. When you forget when I forgot the grace of God Life is just worse. But when you remember it, when you go and turn out all the time, unconditionally, it's easier to say you're sorry. It's easier to believe that God loves you. It's uh, easier to be brave. It's easier to move outside your comfort zones. It's easier to give things up. It's easier not to let your fears hold you back. It's easier to challenge people to hurt you. It's easier to do something that would probably make you look like an easy when you're doing it. When you remember and live by the grace of God, you will be welcome rebuke. You will welcome greater knowledge of your own failures. Because the more you see them, the more you see the work of God's grace in your life all the more. It's simpler, for sure. God's grace is the more I see. You see, it's more grace, more of us non, 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 non. That's God's grace action in your lives. And we need it every day. Every day. You see, it's the little kids who start the story. They're the ones who go out to the They just walk right up to Jesus. Because they knew that he took them as they are. They didn't grab him away into his arms. They didn't have the right to be offered based on something they had done. They weren't afraid about them. They weren't thinking, ah, good enough to go to them. They just did. 
that you know that He accepts me. And I want you to know that He accepts you. And by the way, He accepts you even if your mom's a mixed. Even if you see yourself full of pride and our self-hatred. He wants you to talk to Him. He wants you to know He accepts you because it's because of Jesus. Because of you. Remember, you will see the children and you will see the young man. You will see the children. Never forget. I'm not going to let you finish my sermon by saying, that's it. It is not. It's not the beginning. That's it.